They've gone up the ventilation shaft. Whoa, 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 hold up. Aren't these sound effects from a few weeks ago? I'm not a human soundboard. I'm merciful for the listeners, but it's too early for that. I've no idea who I am yet. We haven't established an inch of the game. Universe. Oh, I get it. It's another space game. I just tell everyone. I usually introduce it to people with subtle audio cues. Not hearing anything. Satellite launch system activated. How about now? Ah, that's better. I feel like I'm there. Okay, let's see. Are we vying against time as the solar system collapses every 20 minutes in real time? Not exactly. Ah, then it's probably some sort of chill crafting survival adventure where you have to carefully manage your oxygen supply. Well, actually... Ah, or could we be exploring a claustrophobic abandoned space station filled with security cameras? You know what? Okay, I got it. An FPS where you spend 90% of the game hunting for gun parts. It's called Apex Legends, a space game. How would you know? Ooh, burn. So, did I get it right? Eh, put those ideas in a blender, throw in some British accents, some profanity, and yeah, you pretty much have the soup of it. You dick! Precisely, my dear fellow. Now we're establishing the universe. Oi, twat face. Yes, yes, very good. Spunky mo- Okay, I think it's established quite enough now. You did uh, play the game, right? Sure I did. You? Well, obviously, because I'm not Teo, I'm Ben. Oh, burn yourself. Can't believe you fell for that. Me neither. I'm never usually so stupid. Because I'm not Ben, I'm Teo. <sighs> and this is... Pixel Vision. What we playing, Teo? We have been playing Void Bastards. Void Bastards, yes. Void yes. Bastards, Void Bastards. Just to pick up the same joke we left off last episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, started where we finished. <laughs> I've really started to um, put my A's hard in recent years. A mixture of influences, I think. I've just started to lean that way. Do you think that's a sort of affected attempt to sound less middle class? Because you're not fooling anyone, Teo. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, well, no, exactly. No, I, th- I think I'm just a sponge for mannerisms in general, but certainly where there's like a choice to be had about a way to say something, I'll probably just go with the way in which I've heard it most recently or the most often recently. Mm, sort of chameleonic. Yeah, chameleonic. Untrustworthy, that sort of thing. Mm, I, I just call it healthy, <laughs> healthy psychological evolution. Okay. But, sure. You can call me a snake if you want. Whatever works, snake. <laughs> So yeah, getting on to actually talking about Void Bastards. What did you think? You go first. You go first. Uh, What did you think? All right. Okay. If I was reviewing the first eight hours, Mm. I think if I'd played it for around eight hours, maybe even ten, actually, to be honest, I don't know how long I did play it for, but if I'd played it for less time than I did, my gut reaction here would be, fuck, I love this game. I actually loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, great. Unfortunately, (laughs) I did carry on playing it for a lot more hours. And Mm. as a consequence, I started to think, ah, it stopped feeling fresh. It stopped feeling innovative. I'm basically just farming. There was a certain point where I thought all the things that had surprised me and kind of enraptured me about playing the first Mm. few hours had become more of a churn and at that point I thought mm, I think this is dragging this is dragging a little bit mm. and I sort of was ready to get off my spaceship at that point how about you yeah pretty much exactly the same and I think I know why it is as well and we'll get into that but yeah pretty much exactly the same like the novelty wears off and then the actual game that you have after the novelty is gone is kind of shallow well shallow is a bit mean but just not not that fun I suppose yeah too repetitive yeah, too repetitive. Too repetitive. Too repetitive. Too repetitive. Too repetitive. Too... <laughs> Isn't that a line straight out of space as well? Maybe not. No, I'm allowed my own jokes. Despite all the references in the intros. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it is too repetitive. But that's okay. I've played it for 10 hours. Your Steam said 17 hours. I'm guessing some of that was left on because it took around 10 hours to complete the campaign once. It wants you to play it more and over and over again but don't really feel like it's got that replay value but that's okay 
10 hours good time? Nah, I didn't do that either. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you, I think, actually. Mm. Um, although with a few caveats. But everyone's wondering what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, it's true. So we should jump into the Taylor monologue. But before we do, can you just quickly say, would you recommend, if you're a listener, because I know a lot of our listeners, they sort of listen to the intro and they get a sense for the game. And then they're like, should I play it or should I just listen to the podcast? Do you know what I mean? What are you saying? Ah, should they play it before listening? Well, I mean, nothing is spoiled by listening to the show before you play this one. So I'd say you can take the whole show to decide if you want to. Generous. But yeah, I'd recommend it. If you're happy to pay for a game to play for only 10 hours, then I'd recommend it. But it's one of the problems with this kind of game is that another roguelite, like procedurally generated, that kind of thing, you might be expecting to get 50 hours of it or more, depending on the kind of player you are. And yeah, it hasn't got that kind of depth. Hades, you're looking at him, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. Like nowhere near the, the depth that Hades does. No. Okay, cool. Let's uh, jump right in mm. to your Taya monologue. So yeah, like we said, it's called Void Bastards or Bastards, depending on where you're from. It is a FPS <laughs> roguelite space game where you are a rehydrated prisoner aboard a prison barge ship that has been stuck in this nebula full of other abandoned ships. Yeah, you get rehydrated by the AI and you're tasked with putting together the equipment you need to get this prison barge out of the nebula in which it is stuck. And the way in which you do that is you board these abandoned ships in first-person shooter mode, kill the ghosts, loot the loot, get back out, craft some stuff, do it again over and over and over and over again until you find or craft all of the parts you need to get out of there. Yeah, so quick question, because the way I understood it is that you're trying to escape the nebula, right? Like you're trying to, so you're on this, as you said, like basically in a, what amounts to an abandoned penal colony, yeah. right? With a seemingly infinite number of prisoners aboard. Think Australia, but stranded. <laughs> I mean, the whole setting is comedy, right? Like, it's very, very tongue-in-cheek. It takes the piss out of, like, corporate culture and general bureaucracy, Britishness in general, I would say. It takes the piss out of us as, as well. But yeah, like, all the prisoners on this giant barge, they're all just packets of powder, which the AI can resurrect if it needs a hand with anything that its, like, robo-arms can't manage. So it's not like there's prisoners walking around the barge. It's just, like a vessel for crisps. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of mechanic that they use such that when you die, they can straight away just be like, oh, don't worry, here's your next yeah, packet yeah. of hydration powder. And then you, your next guy gets spawned and the friendly AI says something along the lines of, don't mind the bloodstains, things might need a little bit of cleaning. Yeah. The gist of it is then you pick up where your last character left off, minus whatever you didn't manage to salvage from the ship that you died upon. OHS violations have resulted in a premature end of life situation. Recruiting replacement client. All the best roguelites these days manage to make death part of the story in some way. Which I love. Yeah, which is really good. I don't know how that doesn't get tired. Like, it's just such a fun, yeah. like, the more innovative they are with it, the better. I thought Hades was pretty cool, but in some ways that was an easy out. Mm. With this, I actually feel like that's really innovative. Like, every time you're just another prisoner that's having to do the same old grind to get off this damn ship. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun flavour for why you can die and get back up again. I think I forgot to actually ask you the question I was going to ask just then, which is... Your aim is to get off the ship, right, and out of the galaxy. But are you expecting to be released? Like, are you expecting to kind of, I don't know, get returned and reintegrated into society? Or <laughs> I can't remember now how they kind of pitch it to you initially. Like, you've got to do this stuff, but why are you doing it and not anyone else? And like, why does anyone care that the penal colony is abandoned? I think that's your hope. But it's all mostly implied because your character never actually says anything. The story's told whenever you complete a like story task and the intro sequence through these really nice little comic strips, isn't it? But your character never actually says anything. But the AI that's resurrected you is voiced in the accent that you just yeah. did an impression of. Welcome to your induction seminar. Unauthorized persons have boarded this vessel and rendered it inoperative. 
Your action item. Restart the FTL drive. Slightly animated comic strips. Yeah. So they're not totally inanimate. They're quite fun. Yeah, they are cool. But yeah, I mean, are you hoping that? I mean, presumably, like at one point, you just get picked up on this hook. And it kind of shows that like you're completely powerless in the ship. It's not like you can bash the AI over the head or even have any opportunity to do that. You're just basically a human slave for the automated penal colony. Yeah. I mean, he says comedy things like, oh, your sentence has been decreased by 10 days, but the crimes that you've committed in helping me do this task have like added three years into your sentence. So sorry about that kind of thing. After you've helped out. Yeah. <laughs> And all of the sort of upgrades that you're having to acquire each time you enter a ship are essentially to construct various parts of a new machine that's going to help you get Mm. off. Like, you know, I guess in the same way that the conceit of something like the forest or even subnautica is that you're essentially, you know, building a radio, you're trying to get contact with the outside world Mm. and you're hoping that you're either going to build a ship to escape or you're going to be rescued. This is kind of the same thing, right? You're building this computer. Along the way, you have upset after upset Mm. because the computer keeps exploding. Or like, first of all, you have to build like a citizen card because you're a prisoner, so you can't Mm. use a computer without a citizen card. So first you have to fake one. Then that's obviously a counterfeit citizen card. So you need to make it authentic. And all of those kind of things. Like each time you get an achievement, it conceives a reason to throw you back into the universe and keep looking for the next objective. I'm afraid your attempt to connect the interplanetary receiver has failed for the following reason. There is no interplanetary receiver. It looks like we need to kick around some motivational strategies. How's this? If you look for parts to build a new receiver, I'll terminate the succession planning I'm currently engaged in vis-a-vis your position. One thing that we didn't talk about is the stratus of the nebula, right? Like the difficulty tiers. Mm, That's how it gets harder as the game goes on, is that the parts that you're trying to find on these abandoned space stations uh, deeper and deeper into the nebula. So there's five levels. And in the first level, you like the enemies are like trifling, aren't they? Really not much challenge at all. I don't know about really? that. I actually think they're pretty annoying. Like I didn't find them a challenge, but they're a real nuisance, aren't they? Yeah. They're called juvies. And they're the ones who run around like annoying little kunos from Disco Elysium. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, a twat face. Oh. Their dialogue's really funny. The line that Teo slipped into the intro about, what was it? McFuckface or something. Spunky McFuckface, yeah, is one of the things they say. Basically, it's on onslaught of insults mm. as you're running through the place. Spunky McFuckface. You're right, dickbag. Oi, twat face. Oh no. And then he shat himself. <laughs> get some blue sign, Go right back and get wasted, mate. You're saying I'm dodgy or something? You're saying I'm dodgy, mate? Saying you're saying you're not saying anything, are you? We are fucking gay do you want to buy this bus ticket, no, mate? mate no, Do you want to no, win no. some money, mate? No, Do you want to have a game of coins, mate? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, have a game of coins, mate. And, I mean, there is a bit of a stealth mechanic, isn't there? Like, you can hide from these enemies, to some extent. Yeah, and, and because all of your resources are, I mean, they're far from finite, because you can keep getting more of them, but if you're not careful, you'll use up your bullets faster than you can salvage them, certainly at the start. And so that gives you a bit of a incentive to not kill everything and things keep spawning anyway on the ship so it's more about getting what you need from the ship as efficiently as possible and getting out of there rather than like clearing the whole the whole place yeah although they at least cover their backs a bit with the endless enemies because although they do spawn they spawn in through like rifts that exist on the ship and there's some really cool things so like first of all the type of ship differs Mm. so you might be landing on like a mechanical ship that was an industry or like a freighter type Mm. thing you know carrying the equivalent of shipping containers Mm. that you can loot and that sort of stuff but those ships while they might have loot in those shipping containers won't necessarily have things like food and stuff like that Mm. or you can land on like a luxury cruiser where you know presumably the elon musks of this (laughs) world and other ceo type high rollers would have spent their summers i don't know why it has to be summer but holidays floating in space Mm. on these luxury cruise ships and those ones have casinos where you can loot the machines and play like spin ball or whatever it's called not roulette what's the one with the just the handle that spins the thing like a fruit machine ding 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 Uh, slot machines yeah yeah exactly yeah 
um, and they've got a shit ton of food and all that kind of stuff. So there's quite a lot of variety, mm. or at least a degree of variety in those ships, aren't there? Yeah, I, I agree. There's a good a good number of different environments to explore. I mean, they all have different rooms which have doors which you can lock and unlock and certain areas which you come to expect, like the helm. Like if you get to the helm of the ship, then you can press the computer and find out where all the loot is. That's usually the place that you go first so that you kind of know where to go. But as you get to higher difficulty levels, there isn't a helm in the ship and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, it depends. There's like space stations on there rather than like abandoned ships and they don't have the helm. Then you're just reliant on your like mini mini map in the in the corner of your screen to know if there's stuff there or not. Unless the game has disabled it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, before we keep talking about the, the sort of variety of ships, mm. the mini map innovation. I don't think I've seen this in any other game where a mini map is separate to your main map in such a way that you can unlock things to appear on your mini map, mm. but when you open your main map, they won't be there and vice versa. So like sometimes your mini map will be disrupted by some sort of electromagnetic pulse mm. or something. And at those times you'll have to open your main map, which will be a lot more sparsely populated with what your objectives are and that sort of thing. Yeah, because I, I became really, I became really reliant on well, maybe not my main map, but I, I had a perk which let me see where all of the security cameras and turrets were on the map. What's a perk, Teo? I don't know what you're oh, talking about, mate. <laughs> well, like, your character, we said already they get dehydrated um, and rehydrated. So you start off with some, like, random perks which might be good or might be bad. They're basically genetic traits, aren't they? Yeah, you can change these in, like, the, the gene splicing room or whatever it is to choose some, like, special perks which help you do things like lock and unlock doors quicker or automatically pick up items that are scattered on the floor, which I definitely got that because... Who wants to, like, click around for ages on the screen? That was muggins over here. <laughs> really? I hated that. I just didn't think that was the worst thing to have to do. Oh. You can only ever have three perks, and I way preferred some of the other ones. Like, I, knowing where the enemies are on your minimap is amazing, mm. and so is knowing where security is. I think it's called, like, security operator or security engineer or something. It is, yeah. Where you can see where the turrets are and the cameras, because as you work your way through the ship, it's not just the space creatures that are your enemies. There are also the mechanised defences of the ship itself mm. that you have in to fight. Oh, yeah, they're by far the most difficult enemies. Like, the little peeping cameras, first of all, they're really hard to see, and so they'll be like, beep, 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 and if you let them go off, then they summon the like the defense droid to come and kill you. Initially, they're not that hard, but then on the lower levels, they're like multiple warbots that the the space stations are sending out to kill you. They seem to regenerate faster than you can damage them. Yeah, really challenging initially. Anyway, whenever I encountered one of those, you just have to run away. But maybe I needed to get to the security room and disable the security as a priority. Or alternatively, you can override the security and subvert mm. it as the game calls it so it works on your behalf and actually one of the cool things is that although the ship's layouts themselves aren't procedurally generated the universe the nebula that you're moving around in which presents on the screen like a sort of grid doesn't it a sort of diagonal grid that you jump between ships in your ship <laughs> yeah yeah and that bit is procedurally generated so there's a degree of randomness on like what spawns where and what the enemies are on it and what the perks are so each ship maybe it'll say oh it's got loads of hazards or it'll say security is disabled and that's obviously a benefit to you mm. and sometimes you get one which has three benefits it's basically like a free ship mm. it's got one type of enemy the enemies allied with you and it's got no security or something and you're like oh yes <laughs> those are sort of holy grails yeah it's true but uh yeah the procedural generation is a factor i love those kind of maps as a way to choose which procedurally generated levels i want to engage with because anyone who's played slay the spire will be really familiar with that layout because it's almost like it's not quite like slay the spire slay the spire you look at like basically like a third of the game you're like you plan your entire route so that it's the route that you most want to take this you can only see a section of it at a time so it's a bit less significant but it's still nice it gives you like a nice decision to plot your path more like monster train where you have that snapshot decision area where you've only got two choices or something but i remember criticizing monster train for that because unlike say the spire it doesn't feel like you're given much of a choice I can't remember. Is it just too... No, it's, that's what I mean. It's much more constrained. I think the path forks at a certain point, doesn't it? And you can choose either side of a fork, but you can't see much of it. It is, yeah. And then you get like either this battle and these three bonuses or this battle and these three bonuses, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's more fun than that, but 
not quite as fun as Slay the Spire, I would say. But before that, we were, we were talking about something else, weren't we? Oh, yeah, we are talking about the variety of ships. Oh, yeah, you said they're not procedurally generated. Are they not? No. Because I felt like I never encountered exactly the same ship twice. Is that just because there are, like, loads of layouts? I looked it up and I found a thread where the developer themselves stated, the campaign is procedurally generated and will play differently every time. But the level maps are specific to the type of ship you go into. They're not procedurally generated. Every time you go into a Lux casino ship, it's a Lux casino ship. And that continuity is an important part of how you learn to plan and strategize better. Mm. But what's in the ship, so the loot, the enemies, the security, the hazards, the crew spaces, and where some of the walls and furniture are, are also procedurally generated on a per ship basis. So I guess there's sort of, sharp constraints within each type of ship Mm. but in order that they still adhere to their theme they don't deviate too much yeah that makes sense like you're saying with the lux cruiser you can always expect there to be a dining hall on that ship but you might start right next to it then it might be the generator and the security room but you might come into another one and they're in like a different order but you can still expect those like modules to be there yeah Oh man, mentioning generator just then. The worst kind of trait on any ship I decided was random power generator outages. Because basically what happens is you start a ship and unless you've got the perk that is like, I don't know, power engineer or something that lets you know if there's a power outage or not, you have no clue when you land on the ship whether all the power is going to be on. And if it's off then you can't loot anything, you can't sort of access anything until you've turned the power on. That's fine when it's just that. You just turn the power on as an order of priority, you know, as a top priority, and then Hmm. proceed to explore the ship. But when there are random power outages, you end up in this situation where you've turned the power on, you're halfway across the, well, the opposite side of the map, fighting some fucking random enemies and suddenly the power just goes and you can't carry on until you run all the way back to the other side of the map and we forgot to say there's an oxygen meter that's decreasing the entire time and in the early levels you've got quite a lot of oxygen on the ship and it's kind of fine and you know you develop and unlock some perks that enable you to have longer oxygen and breathe for longer and some of the ships have perks that you know have 50% more oxygen aboard and all that sort of stuff but even so when you're getting nebula depth four or five which are the top two tiers yeah it's like four minutes maybe four and a half minutes or something of total oxygen and you're running around to try and restart generators yeah and those are the ships that you want to take your time on as well because the enemies are far more dangerous like you might want to be a little bit more sneaky conserve more of your ammo so yeah i mean multiple times and actually these are the times when i enjoyed the game most is when i was running for the airlock if I only had 20 seconds of oxygen <laughs> remaining and I was just trying to fill my boots yeah. before scarpering back. Yeah, I think it does do that well and the balance is, is good. Those moments of tension are extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. For such a simplistic sort of game. Mm. I mean, I don't want to say it's too simplistic, but it certainly appears fairly simplistic, even though there are a lot of complexities involved. Yeah, because I felt like it was simplistic as well. And I think that is because the game is the first person shooter. You have to be enjoying that like there's no real puzzle is there and that's why i think it's longevity suffers it's because it, the actual gameplay loop of going onto the ships becomes really really repetitive like we said at the start so yeah you know the puzzle before you even go in there and in fact i think the most interesting decision in the game is whether to actually board a ship or not because as you're going through the nebula unlike a game like slay the spire where you're forced into every encounter you can choose whether you want to go onto the ship or not and if you've only got one food left, then yeah, like you have to do it because you're scrounging for supplies. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't really explained food and fuel as the two key decision factors there. We'll explain them then. So like fuel means you can carry on in your mission, as in go forward one space. And food means you can survive another day. Like you could use it for your health, but also it's just a necessity to keep on living. Yeah, and you only get either of those things by either looting them aboard a ship, which has them, or occasionally they're randomly floating in the nebula yeah so you can't not play you can't just waltz through until you get to the ship with the thing you need and like quickly get it because you would run out of fuel and or food and also you probably wouldn't be equipped to deal with it probably not although i think in this game i didn't do it so much but i think you can actually get quite far by just legging it through (laughs) (laughs) but yeah did you ever feel like you 
were on the edge with those resources? A couple of times because the game throws out certain choices that force you to be on the edge. So for example, when you're floating through the nebula, you always get a choice of, I think, two different directions. Each new ship grid you arrive at lets you move to two other spaces or maybe even three in, in some instances, but two or three. And one of those is occasionally like a hermit that is just floating around for some reason. And he will give you a random part and it might be a really good part that you want, but he steals all your food. Oh. So at that point, you're going to be floating in space. You're going to be forced to land on the next vessel, whether you want to or not. Uh, I never met him, so I, I didn't have that happen to me. What? You never took the... He shows up in like every screen pretty much. You just manage to navigate your way through without. Yeah, no, I never met him. But you're right, like those hazards can make that extra game, the map game, a lot more hazardous. Like you mentioned the Hermit, there's the Pirates as well, which you have to find torpedoes if you want to get past them. The Pirates are tough as well. Like when the Pirates eventually board your ship, there's quite a few of them and they all have a lot of health and a lot of damage. I never encountered a Pirate when I didn't have a torpedo. And so I never found out what happened. I was too scared. I was too, <laughs> too safety oriented. Always made sure I had my torpedoes. Yeah, this is interesting though, because the pirates sort of randomly spawn and then can teleport around a little bit as well. And there's a few things that we didn't mention, like when you're working your way through the nebula, every now and again, there's a wormhole and it will just put you randomly somewhere else on the map. Mm. And there are also these things called void whales that you'll need to expend torpedoes on or they cause you a shit ton of damage. Oh, and they're also floating DNA yeah, 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 fuck-ups, yeah. I guess you'd call them, where you think you've got a gameplay style and a sort of plan hmm. for your approach to every ship. And then suddenly you go through a DNA rewire and suddenly you're like, this skill that you've been dependent on throughout, like Teo mentioned, deactivating security or something like that, hmm. suddenly it gets taken from you. And instead it puts a really punishing skill, like hmm. you're really tall or you're really, you're extra slippy, or you've got like a loud cough. So you're constantly drawing attention to yourself, all that kind of stuff. They're quite fun little. Yeah, they are fun. Uh, they are fun. What's the opposite of a buff? A debuff, usually. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> Yeah, and in fact, talking about it, it does feel like a whole extra layer onto the game. It's like you're playing a little board game on top of the, the first person shooter, isn't it? Navigating that nebula. Yeah, definitely. I just think I agree with you that it doesn't do it enough. You're not forced into those encounters. Like I say, you've got two or three choices. Yeah. And you can always just think, actually, do you know what? I'm not feeling risky. I'll mm. go with one of the easier options. And because for a roguelike, as in when you die, you lose your character, but the upgrades that you've made on the upgrade screen, which we'll get to, persist doesn't really set you back very far dying so i think they could have afforded to be more punishing in that part of the game maybe but that being said we already talked about how repetitive it gets mm. and i wonder either if they had have made it more punishing people might have just lost interest i think i would have probably lost interest because at least i knew that although i was doing the same thing over and over again by the end i knew that i was progressing like i felt confident that when i eventually found a ship with the part that i needed i would be able to retrieve that part yeah whereas if there was always a question mark over if i was even going to survive and when you do die you say like you keep a lot of your stuff you keep your parts which are the things you construct mm. upgrades with but you lose basically all your ammo your torpedoes like all of that stuff mm. and so it's fucking annoying if you've developed a sort of strategy like i said before a, a gameplay style mm. like i always relied really heavily on the stapler we haven't really talked about the weapons and how they work and stuff but the stapler is a sort of handheld shotgun a little bit like a mangler i reckon from halo yeah it's like a mangler you know you can upgrade that a bit and i became really reliant on that so i always just made sure i had enough staples just constantly and so when i did die and all of my staples were lost. I was like, oh shit, now I've got to use some other crappy weapon, like the Rifter. Yeah, falls back to that. Oh, the Rifter's so annoying. The Rifter basically, it's kind of good for the big enemies because one enemy, it will phase it out of existence and then you can put it back somewhere. But if, when you're faced with two, 
you, you, you're in this position with this gun. You've maybe only got like 20 shots with it, but you're like phasing out one, like put, putting him like a little bit further away and like trying to get the other one out of the way. It's a scarpering weapon. Yeah, like, it's, it's, so it's good shoddy. for them not. Yeah, it's good for them not blocking. Oh, it's quite good for turrets as well. Um, yeah, for turrets, it's good because you can break their line of sight with it, but also you could put an enemy through a door and then quickly lock the door. Yeah. What I would have liked for them to have done, and I suppose you can do this if you're near an airlock, whereby you put them in the airlock and then quickly open the airlock. Mm. But I would have quite liked them to have allowed you to reappear stuff from the rifter outside of the ship. So mm. like if you're looking at a window to be able to reappear them outside, that would have been quite a fun Yeah, that would have been fun. Addition and would have made it more useful. Because there were so many of the weapons, even though it gives you a variety... I mean, a crazy variety. I think there's about... 20? Well, the grid with all the weapons on. So, okay, they're not all weapons, to be fair. The grid's about 49, 7 by 7, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the actual weapons, probably you've got about 35, maybe? Something really? like that. There's there's a lot, I reckon, anyway. There is a lot, there is a lot. And a lot of them are useless. Or not useless, but just like you would never choose to use them. <laughs> like, uh, like Cluster fluck. <laughs> To be fair, I did use that one on some of the levels. So one of the one of the RNGs for the enemies is that there might be just a few of them. And so usually like the hardest enemies, there'd just be one or two on the map. But the simpler ones, there could be loads of them, like absolutely loads of them. And so the cluster flat is quite good for just chucking a few in a room where there's about 20 enemies and locking the door and leaving them all to die. Yeah, which actually makes me think now we we started to introduce enemies with the juvies, yeah, those yeah. annoying guys, but we never really worked our way through any of the others. So, And since we're talking about weapons, it's quite a good way of introducing the enemy and then the weapon that I use at least to take them out. Yeah, because it did that quite well, because definitely they felt like there was a foil for each enemy in the form of a weapon. Yeah, exactly. So the most annoying two enemies in my view. Well, one is called Patience. And those guys are like five or six floating heads that made this noise like, oh, we're going off, sort of thing. And they come rushing towards you and they move really fast. And then although they don't do a lot of damage, because there's like six or five or six heads that are separate, you can't just shoot one of them. Yeah. You have to shoot all of them, which means they're like an absolute ammunition sponge. Yeah. And they're constantly just peppering themselves at you. And the game does this thing where it will tell you how many enemies are aboard a ship, but it gives it you in quite general terms. Yeah. So it'll be like a few, lots, shed, shed loads. loads, I think it says. <laughs> Which I like. Yeah. So yeah, patients were fucking annoying. And then, is it called Sec or something? Not the scribe, the librarian one, but... The screw. Nah, there's one that moves around with this blue shield. Uh, Zek. I think it stands for like oh, exec- executive, right? Because they're kind of executive-like. Yeah, they look like power-dressing elderly women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With blue shields. Yeah, <laughs> blue shields <laughs> and, and kind of plasma rocking objects. And rectangular glasses. What would you buy far the toughest enemy by far the toughest they enemy. were so annoying their shields repel everything so the only way you can take them out is with splash damage mm. but because of the nature of the ships a lot of the corridors are really really narrow and their shield just prevents you from mm. even throwing anything past them i really struggle with those when i saw a ship with this is one of the problems actually is that when i saw a ship with a lot of the enemies i didn't like I just resolved not to land on it. So I, I could actually more or less choose not to face off against enemies I didn't like. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I did exactly the same thing, which is what I was trying to say before when it, it feels a bit bad when in a game, the most interesting decision you have is not to play the game. <laughs> that was literally the decision it was making. It kind of forced your hand to be like, when it's an easy encounter, play it, but it's boring. And when it's a tough encounter, don't play it. And then you don't get to play the game. But also, you might not get a part you need, right? Yeah, but that happened to me a couple of times, and and it was it was okay. So I saw that the ship that had the part, just, I, I was gonna die if I went there, and so I just decided to fly on and wait for the part again because it's only gonna be a few screens away. Yeah, the game has a feature as well called a locator, which lets you kind of if you're trying to build an upgrade, like a steel carapace, which is like extra health. Yeah, which is essential. Or a travel rot which which allows you when you die to have a few more starting materials and that sort of stuff Mm. if you're trying to build those things and you need a specific part you can attune your locator to scan ships for that exact part and even though that seemed like a good idea 
I needed so many parts that I basically just looked at each ship as I went and was like, is it going to be on there? No. <laughs> and that, that seemed to work fine without the locator feature. Mm. You said about the grid before. You've got this like really like nicely drawn, appealing menu of things you can build, which can help you in various ways. And it's fun to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to build that one next because it will help me. But yeah, like you say, the locator is just a bit too random for that. What you end up doing is going to a place, seeing what parts you've got or what junk you've got at the end, building the parts you can and building the stuff that's available to you, don't you? Rather than being really strategic about where you go. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I was saying about my worst enemy types, which were your worst enemy types and what weapons did you use? So obviously for for the Zex, I had to use splash damage. So that was like, Mm. I didn't actually really use a cluster flat, but they're meant to be good for that. I tended to use big bangers, basically hand grenades. I said it already at the start, it's those warbots that constantly recharge their health and fire rockets at you. Oh, that's your worst one, yeah. Oh, definitely, they're so tough. Oh, mate, but they're so easy to just not set off the warbots. Like, I would say 1% to 2% of the ships I landed on I ended up activating security on. Before I had my security expert perk, I was setting them off all the time, because the peepers are really hard to see. The little security cameras. <laughs> so reckless. But they make a loud noise and give you about 10 seconds to shoot them. Before. No, they do not. They don't give you 10 seconds. They give you about two seconds. On the lower levels, it's like, beep, 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 and then security is on you. And it locks all the doors in the room you're in, which, to be fair, is a pretty trivial challenge because you can just unlock them. But from that moment onwards, you've got these robots, robot or robots, hunting you throughout the ship. Such a pain. Listen and understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. And in fact, my best tool, which I nearly always took with me, is just that little electric zapper. I think it's called the zapper, which you can use to stun things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's so useful just to stun something and then kill it rather than having it hit you while you're hitting it. The herd zapper, it becomes upgraded too, doesn't it? Yeah. Herd zapper, yeah. Becomes the cow zapper, yeah. The way the weapons upgrade is really nice because they've got a, like a different name every time you upgrade something on the crafting menu and it's already flavorful. I think your board game comparison earlier made a lot of sense on that front mm. because the artwork, especially for the upgrades and the names, looks exactly like if you were drawing cards on a tabletop board game doesn't it yeah you can imagine like putting the counters on each of them as you're upgrading them it's like terraforming mars maybe or something like that i actually think this game could potentially work as a tabletop game in fact in terms of the playstyle, even the fact that you know you can only move the number of fuel you've got and the amount of food you've got and you can choose whether to enter a ship or not but if you don't and you're going to lose and not gain anything and blah 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 there's like these trade-offs it feels like it's been designed in that way. But don't you think that's hilarious that when the thing that's most innovative about this game, or at least the thing which I definitely hadn't seen before, is a first-person shooter in this format? Usually this kind of game would be a card game or like a chess-like puzzler or something like that. So just carrying on his theme of mentioning chess in every other podcast. (laughs) Well, the one I usually use for that is, oh no, I've forgotten the, the name of it, by the same people that made Faster Than Light which is also a space game. We'll put it in the show notes anyway. But anyway, it's basically just a chess game where you've got a grid and you have little mechs which you can move on the grid. And it's exactly the same format as this game, almost to a T with like the upgrades that you can get, different things you can unlock, blah, 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 blah. Except the game loop isn't a first-person shooter, it's a puzzle. And the puzzle is satisfying for a long, 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 long time. Whereas running around on the spacecraft with your gun, eh. Not so much. Yeah, and I sort of agree with you on that because I'm someone who loves a first-person shooter mm. and the worst thing about this game is the actual combat, yeah. I'm afraid to say. Yeah. It's weird because it draws a lot, or at least it at least seems physically to resemble Borderlands in its art style. Mm, definitely. The sort of pop art outlines being drawn. And it's comedy as well, right? Like really irreverent 
almost cartoony. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and the comedy is very slapstick. Mm. That exact sort of style, even in the comic book strips, it's got that slapstick. You know, mm. like there's one moment where you've had to upgrade the computer to have turbo speed because it says an upgrade's gonna be completed in like 60,000 years or something. <laughs> and it's like, oh, maybe you should upgrade the turbo feature. And then it's like, okay, yeah, in seven days it'll be finished. But then it says the facility's gonna self-destruct. <laughs> and you're like, now might be a good time to stop that turbo button. Yeah. And so you unpress it and it's like in 40,000 years kind of thing. So you buy yourself time. So it's quite funny even in those strips. Mm. But when does irreverent humour become just really lowbrow, low-hanging fruit, lowest common denominator, <laughs> anything else with low in it type humour? Because mm. it is quite puerile, isn't it? It's hard to feel good about yourself laughing at the jokes in this in this game. <laughs> yeah, maybe video games don't often set a very high bar for this. So quite often the stories in video games like are like we like just did Jedi Fallen Order, right? Like how beige was that whole story of that whole game? And that had like a massive budget, which I don't think this one did. So I think often when you're playing a game, it feels it feels good enough for it to be okay. Mm. Basically what I'm saying is, if this was a, f a film or a TV show, we wouldn't watch it, would we? No. Or read the comic. Like, I wouldn't watch the anime <laughs> of this game. But in the game, just as a little bit of flavour in between playing, yeah, I think it does the job. I wonder if it's because in a shit film, every punchline that doesn't land feels like a slap around the face. Like, <laughs> it's just bad. Whereas in this, every punchline that doesn't land, you almost just don't notice. It just falls into the background of the game and you carry on. Whereas when a punchline does land, mm. you really do notice. So like, for instance, I really liked, you already mentioned the, the sort of corporate backdrop to it. And there's this voice over the tannoy sometimes. And that tannoy, they're quite creative with, by the way, with sound effects. Like there's one that sounds exactly like an alarm. And every time it went off, I was like, shit, security's got me. But it was always just the like tannoy turning on to give you an alert. Yeah. Like people who say tannoy when they mean public address system. Tannoy is a brand name. But that sort of thing immediately gets your heart racing. But yeah, one of the lines on the tannoy is like, fill in your forms accurately because incorrectly filled forms may lead to more form filling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that sort of joke, I thought was really funny. Yeah, I agree. And that's nice. And when it shows you, when it shows you the universe in a funny way, that's great. So there are these Japanese cat ships, which are basically, I guess, a piss take of Japanese cat cafes or just cats as a, as a cultural thing in Japan. But they're all robot cats for a start. No fluff or anything, just steel robot cats. And so they're like kitty petting areas. There are these essentially like indoctrination rooms where these videos are running, which are indoctrinating you into loving these robotic cats on the ship. And you're like, what is the point of this? Is this the sole purpose of this ship? It's just to kind of, I don't know. But like it leaves that blank, but it's definitely funny. You're walking around it and you're laughing at the ship because it's a jokes environment. Maybe it's a social commentary on the dependence or growing dependence on inanimate computerized companions in the absence of real human companions. Yeah. Loneliness presented in a comedic fashion. Yeah. In the game. I didn't quite have the space to ponder that while I was playing. But, but almost, I was getting there. <laughs> all the things I'll never see, all the things I'll never be, all there is that's left for me is here in this eternity of isolation. But it is a satire, isn't oh, it? Definitely, like, it's yeah. not a far, it's not super subtle. But then again, neither is, when I think of some great satires, like The Thick of It and Veep, I'm not just going to... Uh, name name comedies by that same writer, Amanda Iannucci. But his space comedy as well is actually very similar to this in tone. I don't know if you ever watched the space one. It was a spoof of Trump's Space mm. Force. Oh, no, but I did. I watched the trailer for it. It looked funny. Yeah, with Hugh Laurie and a few other big famous faces. And I didn't really enjoy that because it was quite lowbrow humour and it felt mm. like it was easy almost. And just a bit shit, to be honest. <laughs> but actually, that was the closest thing comedically to this. This is not a joke. His words, boots on the moon in 2024. Actually, he said boobs on the moon, but we believe that to be a typo. 
This is bullshit. Space is part of the air. Nerd works for me. Ah, uh, hang on, hang on. I don't think there's air in space. Well, there certainly isn't any damn water, Admiral, so you don't get an opinion. Air Force used to just be part of the army, Cake. I'd like to stuff you both back in. If there's no air or water, two questions. What is it exactly, and why can't they hear you scream? Well, at least Coast Guard isn't last in line anymore. Oh, you're still last. Oh, definitely last. You're behind Salvation Army, Lewis. Always going to be last. And it, that is satire. It's just it works better in a game format than it does mm. on TV, I think, in this particular instance. Yeah. One of the things I was amused by right the way to the end is when I kept saying, because it's a bit like having a to-do list, isn't it? When you're looking yeah. for stuff, you know, I kept sort of looking at my screen, working out what I needed. And then I'd say out loud to myself, right, I need a distended testicle. Because <laughs> <laughs> the upgrades all have these ridiculous names. But every time I caught myself saying it, because in the game, it's just a thing that you need. But then when mm. you say it out loud, you realise... What an ass you sound like. It's quite <laughs> yeah, that is funny. One thing we didn't mention, by the way, is how damn addictive it is. Did you find it addictive? Yeah, I did. It's just the loot thing, isn't it? That's why I, well, I, I put Apex Legends in the intro because it does feel like that, doesn't it? It's the supermarket suite. I'll dig that music out again. You've got a ship full of stuff to collect and then... It's that hoarding thing that you have when you're playing games. You just want to, like, get it all. But also, I think it's the time investment per ship. It's just short enough mm. that you can almost always convince yourself, no matter how much, you know, no matter how pressing something is in real life, no matter where you've got to be, you can be like, I think I've probably only got... It'll take me, like, three minutes to get yeah. around this ship. I can probably do it. It's fine. Mm. And that just pressing on you every time you come off the ship and you're like, you didn't get the thing you need. And you're like, have I got another three minutes? I reckon I have. Mm. And suddenly it's like three hours later. Yeah, spot on. It, it has, um, it, it's tapped into the dopamine center of our brain for sure. Oh, oh yeah. no, go on. <laughs> oh, no, I can store it for later. I've had it stored for like 20 minutes. Oh, go on then, go on, get it off your chest here. I was going to say that time limit on your oxygen supply is why some of the weapons are just hilariously not useful at all. And stealth in general is like, can be a bit annoying in the game. So that's the, is it called the rad spiker? Yeah, the rad spiker is the one that you shoot a spike and it creates like a radioactive cloud. Ah, okay, well the one before that, the one that just poisons them and kills things slowly. And it's like, I don't need them to die slowly because if they die slowly, I am also dying slowly <laughs> just by virtue of being on this ship. <laughs> so you have to have things that die fast. So I thought that was quite a funny option that it gave you, but I never got the impression that it was doing that knowingly. I just thought this is not useful. Well, the reason that that one is meant to be a good option is because it doesn't notify the enemy that you've shot them. Yeah. Right. It surreptitiously depletes their health and then they die. So the idea is you can do it from a distance without revealing your location. But like you say, in practice, you're just trying to get through the damn ship. Yeah, it's supermarket sweet. But when, when you'd upgraded it to the top option, because it's meant to like triple the damage, triple the speed or something once you fully upgraded it. Mm -hmm. And I did do that, but then, like you, I never bothered to actually use mm. it. So I don't know how quickly. It'd be pretty cool if you could just shoot stuff from a distance. It died and then... Like, one of the one of the weapons I really liked was the toaster, which takes a little bit of time to charge up, mm. but then shoots this beam of light. And it goes through windows, which is great, because you can lock a door, lure all the enemies towards you, lock the door in front of you, and doors usually have like oh, a little glass cool. window. And you yeah. can just shoot them through the window. It seems that's like a cool. perfect strategy. I never, I never even thought about doing that. That's great. And also on the torpedo ships, the way they're shaped, you can kind of see like the other wing of the ship protruding out and they're covered in glass. Mm. So you can shoot from almost one side of the ship to the other side of the ship. That's really cool. Outside through the windows and take out enemies. But of course you've got rifts as well. So by the time you get there, they might have spawned again. It's more just of a quirk, a fun little thing you can do than an actual useful strategy. In fact, we haven't talked about them yet, but the thing that I found more deadly than the enemies in most cases was the hazards. The hazards oh. on the ship can be really bad, like fire especially. It seems oh like you go in a bit of fire for like a second and you're incinerated. Yeah, I thought 
I, that was so brutal that I actually thought maybe I just overlooked something in the game with the fire. No, I think you've just you've fully got to avoid it. But some rooms, it's impossible not to go through it. It's right in the fucking entrance, and there's only one entrance. Like especially if you're on a ship with a power outage and the room with the generator in has yeah. fire in the doorway. You're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You see a ship that says fires everywhere on it as one of its quirks and you're just like, no, <laughs> why would you put yourself through that? Yeah. The electric ones are quite good though, because the enemies walk into hazards as well. Yeah. So they're stunning themselves left, right and centre. And the jump that you have in the game is so pitiful. It feels like you're jumping about an inch off the ground, but it is enough to like get you over an electric cable, but it feels like just barely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the funnest things is we already mentioned that when you arrive on a ship, there are these quirks. And one of them can be that at least one enemy is allied with you when you land on the mm, ship. That's always fun. And it's quite cool if, for instance, you've got a really big, slow enemy that is your actual enemy, like a screw. These guys have a shed ton of health and... They're basically like the equivalent of a tank, aren't they? Like bear form in World of Warcraft type thing. They just move around really slowly and absorb everything you throw at them. And they keep moving towards you like Terminator. Mm. No matter how many bullets you're filling them with and no matter how many grenades are going off, they just walk through the fire at you. But if you've got one of those enemies, but then there are these other enemies called tourists and there's mm. loads of them on board the ship and their little trait is that they explode. They just detonate. They're always really friendly. They're like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, hey, hello. Are you joining the ship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they just detonate when they get close to you. I appear to have lost my wife. So if you arrive on a ship and you've got one of them's allied and it's the tourists and the other's a really slow moving one, the very first thing you hear on the ship is just shit tons of explosions going <laughs> off all around. It's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's like, it definitely has a bit of a life of its own outside of you interacting with it, isn't it? Which is always nice. Yeah. And so that's why it's a shame, isn't it, really? The upshot, the conclusion. Yeah, uh, but that's but that's why, I mean, it's only a shame because you're expecting that longevity there of a game like, oh, I remember it, Into the Breach was the one that I was thinking of, which is like the, the mech puzzler. A game like that where... The puzzle is so interesting that it can keep you engaged forever. Here, it's, it's not there. And so you're left with a, a great experience, but it's a short one. But I mean, for me, that's like no bad thing at all. No, I mean, I still just think it could be a shorter experience though. Mm. And I don't want this to sound like this is a thing I say every episode, because I'm very conscious that the last couple of games we've reviewed, one of my complaints has been they go on a bit. I'm not, I'm not precious, you know. I'm, I know that there are things that are worth the time investment, but the problem is when it's a grind, and I think this game is unapologetically a grind, like you're mm. trying to find one specific upgrade part and to get it, you have to board fuck tons of ships to find mm. it. When that is the premise of the game, I think it's not unfair to say it's a grind. And with this, once the fun of doing that of entering the ship, finding the enemy, finding the loot, and then seeing if you can get your upgrade wears thin. The whole game has worn thin at that point. There is nothing mm. more to it to keep you going. Mm. And for that reason, I think they should have basically littered more of the items you need into the world so that you, everything happens the same, like the same level of complexity, etc., etc. but just faster. You can get through it faster. So you don't feel by the time you finish and you get to what I think is quite a nice twist at the end, mm. you don't feel like, oh God, I'm just literally just playing this to see what, what the ending is now. And that seems like quite an easy thing they could have done, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, I'm guessing you didn't try it on the hardest difficulty. I, I certainly didn't. No. Oh, but then it'd be more of a grind, wouldn't it? So it's the opposite way around, to try it on the easiest difficulty. But then it would be too... 
then it would be too trivial. Yeah, it's not about the difficulty. The challenge itself was fine. It's the yeah. rate of drops. It's the rate of loot drops, basically. How fast can you physically upgrade your stuff? doesn't matter yeah. if every time you get to a ship, you're doing a great job. At the end of the day, you have to enter the ship because your fuel's running out, your food's running out. So that your, your hand is forced in that regard. And if the item you want isn't there, you're literally just racing around it so that you can move to the next ship. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it's a bit unfair because once you complete the game, there are specific challenges that you can do. But none of those challenges, I think, would make the actual core of the game, which you were describing then, any more interesting. They just make it more punishing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like one of them I saw was you're constantly slipping. So if you go over oil yeah. in the game, <laughs> you sort of slide and become really uncontrollable. Your character just hits walls and bounces everywhere and it's a bit annoying when you're trying to be quite precise. And yeah, that particular challenge is that you're just permanently like that. Mm. But even, even though it does introduce those and it has the feel of one of these games that could go on forever, I don't actually think that that's what it's trying to be. I mean, obviously, like once you've got all the upgrades, then there's that little incentive has, has gone. So it's finite there. So I think it does only want you to play it for a shorter amount of, of time. Yeah. We've talked about this before, actually. In this kind of genre, specifically roguelite, where there isn't a clear end, for me, there's always the point at which I know I'm done with it. I just wait for that feeling. But there's a really nice thing here, actually, which is that with a roguelite, because of the repetitive nature, and because by the time you finished, you're so kind of a fay with the way it all works, mm. and your muscle memory is well entrenched, you actually can leave it for months and then just mm. pick it up and jump straight back into it and have another run and get almost as much pleasure again. And I did that with Hades. I remember when we recorded mm. Hades, I don't think I'd even completed Hades at that point. No. Hadn't even got his health down once, let alone to the second wave of the, that battle. But then months later, I think, oh, I can't even remember why, I just thought, oh, I'll give Hades another shot. That was quite fun. Had one of those little nostalgic moments where I remembered it and caved. And then suddenly I just got totally into it again and played it loads and loads and loads. And now I've put it down again, but I've left it installed because I'm confident that in a few months I'll probably be like, yeah, give it another whirl. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think I could say that about this one, actually. No way, no way. That's what I mean, that's what I mean. It's a tribute to Hades, though. Yeah, oh, I totally agree with Hades. Like, I know that if I installed it and like just booted it up right now, I'd probably play the same amount of hours as I did before again, just because it's kind of a little bit more fresh. And it's just so fun. Yeah. Also, I don't know how they've plugged so much story into that game. I guess it's because it, un it unravels so slowly. But yeah. no matter how many times you loop around, it seems like there's always more shit going on. Yeah, it's masterful. But to be fair, um, it's that super giant game, isn't it? They, yeah. they, they had their previous three games were all reaching for that. And so I felt like Hades was really the combination of them, like, po like polishing and mastering that particular thing which nobody does it nobody i don't even know who else does it but definitely nobody does it as good as they do but yeah i, I agree could could be a little bit shorter and funner as well because I, maybe you didn't have this but certainly the first five hours of the game it was too trivially easy but is that just because you didn't go to the lower depths of the nebula mate yeah maybe i was just cruising at the top yeah i felt like I, as soon as i could i started to go into the lower depths but i was just going where the parts were. and i remember thinking to myself like oh i'm not going into depth number three this is really hard and then suddenly <laughs> realizing I, I was at depth number five kind of thing maybe when the map appeared you saw it as a pit whereas i saw it as a a row <laughs> that's not the opposite of a pit <laughs> anyway i was going a lot more horizontal than i was vertical on the map so yeah probably that's the reason we forgot to say actually that void bastards is a humble bundle game <laughs> which i don't think I've... oh yeah published by them. yeah i didn't even know they did that me too not the studio is called like blue manchu games or something because on the credits i noticed that there wasn't actually that many people who worked on it and i wanted to play oh you wanted a quick round of guess the number of developers <laughs> yeah i wanted to play it but i couldn't they don't even have a website it's like huh they got a twitter account but i couldn't find any information about the number of their employees <laughs> not many developers and not many web developers either. <laughs> yeah, well yeah go and look at the void bastards website they yeah, definitely don't have many developers that thing literally hasn't been updated since launch, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, look at that. And while you're at it, look at pixelvision.net. 
Sign up, put your email in, get our newsletter to your inbox. Yeah, read some of our writing. See the articles that we've been plugging away. And then tell your friends about <laughs> us. <laughs> yes, do it. Well, I'd say that's a pretty good note on which to end, don't you? Yeah, yeah. What game is next? Next, I believe, if I've remembered the order correctly, we are playing Soma or Soma. Another S O M A. Or S O M A. It is all in Maybe caps. it's an acronym. I don't know yeah. whether it is or it isn't. Yeah. Me, me too, not. Because even though I've seen this game advertised to me many, many times, in fact, it was on sale so many times for such ridiculously low prices that eventually I was just like, oh, fine, I'll have it. <laughs> yeah, I think I've owned it for years and I've yeah. never played it yet. I think it's it's rated quite highly, right? But I, other than it being set in an underwater city, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, we were trying to go for a mix-up because we've, we realised we've done a fair number of space games recently. But I hmm. think there's a chance that Soma might just take us to an equally isolated environment, but rather than in space, it's under the sea. Mm. Yeah, it's a very different kind of game to any that we've done recently. I'll take it, I'll take it. I'm excited to play it. Yeah, me too. Mystery. Before I finished the game and uninstalled it, which is my new habit when I complete a game is just to uninstall it so that I can't like get tempted into playing it anymore. I screenshotted <laughs> the entire workbench so I could consult uh, at a glance. Is it? This yeah, strategizing, mate. Good, good game plan that is. This is bringing me back to all the way back to episode one, where I thought it was a good idea to read out all of the, the different <laughs> characteristics and what they meant. It wasn't even. It, it was literally just the names of them, right? Because there's like eighteen or whatever. It, it went on forever. That was a joke. And you sound so dead inside oh as you're reading like, them. Oh, it sounded like a much better idea when I started it. Than it did halfway through reading them. You have volition, inland empire, empathy, authority, a spirit decor, and suggestion. Within physique, you have endurance, pain threshold, physical instrument, electrochemistry, shivers, and half light. And within motorics, you have hand eye coordination, perception, reaction speed, savoy fare, interfacing, and composure. As soon as I started reading that out, I regretted it. <laughs> <laughs>